Hello and welcome to episode number 127 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And ladies and gentlemen, it is now officially draft month, at least based on what we know at the time of this recording. With that being said, we'll be joined in a few minutes by James Madison defensive end John Daka, a stud pass rusher who led the FCS in sacks in 2019, but could have his draft status adversely affected by the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, and we spoke a little bit about Dak a week ago. I mean, he was a guy who I wrote about towards the end of the year. He was a terrific pass rusher, but there were questions about his size and, and some other things. And, you know, as, as we mentioned last week, if you listen to the podcast, he comes in six foot two, 240 pounds. He runs a laser time 449 in uh, what was pro day preparation, has a vertical jump of 41 inches. I believe the broad jump was seven feet, uh, was 11 feet one inch. So just knocked it out of the park. And, you know, sadly, what's going on with the coronavirus, obviously, you know, it takes precedence for a variety of reasons. But sadly, it's going to hurt guys like John Daka the most because Daka was not invited to combine. He didn't play at the Shrine game or the NFLPA game. So really, scouts, all they have is a tape uh, of his last two years at James Madison and the video that's being sent around of his workouts. And they've got to make the uh, – the judgment from there. So I, I thought it was pretty important to get guys like Daka on, you know, to give him a fair shake because of what's been going on. Yeah. And I mean, certainly his not having a pro day is going to affect him. And, you know, it's nice to get him some exposure here at the very least. I mean, it's obviously not a pro day. We're not going to take that much credit, but while the coronavirus has affected players like Daka, it's obviously affected the draft as a whole as well. Some of the top prospects are actually going to be receiving letters soon from the league about their level of participation during draft day. Now, Tony, do you know anything about what's going to be in these letters? They're already receiving the letters. In fact, uh, Ezra Cleveland, uh, a previous guest on this podcast, I'm told, did receive one of the letters telling them that, you know, they're going to invite him to participate and that details will be cut, will be forthcoming. Now, I spoke with a couple of people and what they suspect is going to happen is they will have cameras go to these guys' houses, the guys that, you know, allow the cameras into the house to basically do some real-time reaction when they are selected. They're not going to fly them to New York. Obviously, a lot of guys are not going to want to fly to New York. Uh, but the belief is right now what they will do is they will have the cameras in the guy's front living room, which often happens. I, I mean, because oftentimes you see guys, I remember Mark Sanchez didn't want to travel to the draft that year because he wanted to stay home and celebrate it with his grandmother when he was selected by the Jets that year with what I believe was the sixth selection, the cameras were there to get his reaction. That is what I'm told people are expecting it's going to be. There were a lot of uh, letters that have gone out. You know, the fact that Ezra Cleveland, I'm told, did receive a letter, let you know that a lot of people think he's going to end up in the first round of the draft. Now we'll welcome John Dackett to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. With live sporting events on the back burner, you might think it's not the time to look into online betting. But Tony and I are here to tell you that's just not true. While you're waiting this one out at home with us, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.com. Even without the NBA and the NHL and the MLB, BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, American Idol, the elections, the Spelling Bee, and their $750,000 poker series, which I should probably look into myself. 
Yes, Chris, there is still fun to be had. So go to betonline.com and use the promo code MYPOD100. That's M-Y-P-O-D-100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.com and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online. The fun never ends. Now, as promised, we're joined by John Daka out of FCS James Madison. Daka led the FCS with 16 and a half sacks last season. It's really flying under the radar during this year's pre-draft process for a myriad of reasons. John, welcome to the Draft Analyst, and it's a pleasure to have you on. How you guys doing? It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for coming, John. We're going to get a little back. We'll get get in depth with uh, your your football history, some of your teammates, the uh, national championship run by uh, JMU, and and what you got going on moving forward. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can't wait to get going. Let's get it rolling. Absolutely. So, obviously, you played high school ball in Maryland, ended up a few Mm -hmm. hours west at James Madison in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of contact did you have with FBS schools during your recruiting, and why was James Madison the best choice for you? Yeah, uh, definitely. I had um, contacts with FBS schools. I actually had a couple FBS um, offers towards the end as well, too. So um, initially when I was coming my junior year, because I was pretty new on the scene football-wise, I didn't play my freshman year, play JV, my 10th grade. So I was really new on the scene a little bit uh, in my junior year. So I was kind of lagging behind. So I was just just learning football. You know, the potential was there, but I was just learning football. So initially, um, you know um, – I was just, at that time, I was just working for offers. So my first offer initially was, I believe, Albany. Uh, another CA team, yeah, it was Albany. And, um, you know, it was just before my senior year, I was just going through the camp circuit. I was kind of frustrated with it. And then I initially got Towson, which was a close-by team. At the time, they were like two years or a year uh, removed from being a national championship game. And I just, at that time, I felt that was the right fit at that time. But, you know, James Madison at the time was just, like, a lot, just waiting a little bit, playing the waiting game a little bit. So, but, you know, I just wanted to focus on my senior year, so I just committed to at that time. Uh, early in my senior year, I got that offer from James Madison. I knew automatically I needed to go there. <laughs> I just automatically I knew because I had friends, former teammates uh, in high school who played their vouch for. It was just everything I wanted, a college town. I just felt it was the right fit. Um, I did very well in my senior year. I accomplished every goal I wanted. That's when the offers started coming. So I started getting like mid-major, uh, MAC interest. I know like certain schools because the uh, head coach who recruited me at James Mass actually left to Texas State. And when he was at Texas State, he offered me there as well when he left. And then I know some MAC schools were calling my coach saying, like trying to give me last minute when my recruitment was somewhat open. Uh, so it was that it was a lot of FBS schools started coming later on, like you know, like the Temples, the ODUs, the Toledos, those kind of like mid-major kind of schools were uh, coming on the scene later on. But you know, I stayed true to James Madison, and it was just a perfect fit. Now you entered James Madison as a freshman. Did you expect to compete for a role, a starting role, immediately with the Dukes, or did you think it may take it may have taken a year or two before you saw this field consistently? Uh, so my expectation was. Uh, you know, it might sound cliche, but try to come in there, try to play as hard as I can and whatever happens, happens. But I'm be honest with you, I train to try to uh, be on the field. But, like, at, at the same time, I had no problem sitting back and learning because we had, a at the time, an All-American defensive event, Andrew Ankra, there. So I already understood me. Like, before I came in, I already understood, like, okay, like, I'm going to have to sit back and wait, which was appealing to me because physically I wasn't ready. But, um, you know, I came in. 
competed because I should have been registered. I was I was probably two fifteen, soaking wet. Uh, I should have been really registered. Um, but I came in there, uh, did my thing because I was mentally ready. I mentally prepared before I came in there. Physically, I just wasn't ready at that moment. So you know, I still played. I was a core special teams guy, and I played a good amount of snaps as well for freshmen. So you know, that was a bright spot in my freshman year that I didn't redshirt. But you know, either way, like I was training to play. But if I had to, uh, if I had to sit back and learn, I had no problem doing that as well. I ended up joining the starting lineup as a junior. Busted out with ten sacks before again you led the conference or the FCS, I should say, with sixteen and a half sacks in your senior season. Now, you mentioned freshman year, you weren't physically ready, but these performances, especially your junior one, was that something you think you might have been capable as a sophomore if you were to have seen the field more, or did you need all that development time that you had to be able to reach the potential that you showed? Um, that's a very good question, honestly, because I say, because uh, my sophomore year is probably the most like mentally challenging year because my freshman year, I went from playing a lot, then my sophomore year, I didn't really see the field as much. So... You know, probably physically, I was, I, I was gonna be my, my sophomore year. I was ready. Yeah, definitely physically was ready. But um, you know, the mental challenges that I uh, faced my sophomore year allowed me to have that breakout junior year and eventually build on upon that my senior year. So I can't really sit here and just say, oh, I was physically ready, but without those mental obstacles that were in front of me, I don't know if I would have had the same breakout year. I know I would have did my thing, but you know, it was a lot of ment like I had to really mentally lock in on the small details. Like you know what I mean. Now let's skip ahead to 2019, the start of your senior season. First game of the year, JMU loses a close contest to West Virginia 20-13. to The Mountaineers have an offensive tackle that we've spoken about at length on this podcast the past two years, Colton McKivitz. Guy mm -hmm. was at the combine, guy was at the senior bowl. Did you line up against him, and what were your thoughts or, or what, are your, what are your remembrances on the outcome of your battles against McKivitz? Yeah, um, watching him on tape, he was uh, impressive because he was very tall and athletic. Um, the battles, it was kind of really hard to really tell because they ran a lot of quick game because their quarterback, they ran a lot of, uh, with their quarterback, that was just their thing. They ran a lot of quick games. So it wasn't really like sitting back and drop back passing as well, but he's definitely an athletic dude. And I definitely thought he had uh, NFL potential, but it was kind of really hard to say, like, you know what I mean? With that, I think I, I hate to say it, but I think I got him a couple, he probably got me too a couple times too. So, um, you know. It was a battle where I wish it was, like, drop back so you could really get that indication of the film instead of, like, a quick pass, like, you know, the quick game. But, you know, he definitely had all the traits to be a starting NFL tackle in my eyes. Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about your success as a player, but obviously at the team level, you guys have had a ton of success at James Madison. You won that FCS title in 2016, your freshman year, lost two of the next three years in the title game, including this past year, unfortunately. What was the experience like for you playing for a perennial powerhouse? Um, that's just something I've been, uh, sort of used to. Um, I love the culture of a winning program. That was definitely the number one thing of me also picking, um, colleges because in high school we had a powerhouse and, and that too. And I just think that elevates your game. Once you're used to winning, you don't want anything else. Uh, you don't want anything else. Like you're not like losing just sucks. I know losing just sucks with everybody, but I just can't get, uh, used to losing. So, you know, being at a place like James Madison with a, like you're around other winners, it just builds you up. Um, I don't like being around like really negativity, even like trying times, you know, you just want to stay positive. And I feel like if you're in a winning program, you have those kind of guys who are used to that, who know how to fight through adversity, who know how to uh, day in and day out work, who all have the same vision as you. So being around those kind of people just elevated my game. 
and allowed me to go out there and play my hardest because I know the person next to me is playing my hardest. So, you know, I never had to question um, how hard somebody played, how much they cared, how much they wanted to win. So, you know, those type of programs are just the perfect fit for me. You know, the CAA is really one of the best conferences in FSC football. You could make the argument that the CAA is like the Division One AA version of the SEC. And there's been a lot of different teams from the CAA that have had success with the years. Obviously, James Madison. You mentioned Towson, uh, Villanova, Maine. Why do you think that conference is such a powerhouse? Uh, that, I'm going to tell you something about that conference. That conference is crazy. Like, some of the stuff that has happened in that conference, you know, is insane. Like, like they say week in and week out, you don't know what's going to happen with that conference. We had, like, certain teams, like, I like to be honest with you, I have no clue why it's like that. You know, it's so much competition. There's so much people who, um, like, it's literally a war week in and week out. And that prepared me. Like, you know, certain divisions, no knock or conferences, I'm sorry, no knock on certain conferences. But, you know, certain conferences, you know what you're getting with certain teams week in and week out. And it's just been like that. It's just, it's been like that forever in those conferences. But with the CAA, there's so many upsets. You can't even really say upsets because everybody day in and, like, week in and week out, you have to bring <laughs> – you have to you have to bring your work pants like you have to bring your work hat and just get to work. If not, you will get beat. So you can't even really call it an upset because you know we know the team that's lying in front of us and they know us just as much too. So you know you're just trying to find that edge. Um, you know it's a it's a crazy conference. I have no clue why it's like that. I can just credit that to competitiveness and how much the great coaches that's in there and the players how much they want to win as well too. Like there's not anybody in that conference who just sits back and it's cool with losing. Everybody wants to get that conference ring. Now, you mentioned coaching, and that really gives me a great segue into this next question here because you had to endure a coaching change during your time at James Madison with Mike Houston leaving for East Carolina a year after you got a 10-year extension in 2017. Did that move surprise you at all? And what was the transition like going from him to Kurt Signetti? Um, that move didn't really surprise me as much because I still understand this game is a business and you have to do what's best for you and your family and your um. And also your your career, like nobody just wants to stay in one place for your career. You're always looking for elevation. You're always looking to get to that next step. And, you know, Coach Houston felt like at that moment in his career, that was the best opportunity for him and his family. You can't really knock the man for that. Um, the transition from him and Coach Signetti was kind of weird because not weird, but it was I've heard of, the coaching change they had before. It was a difficult transition. It was I say it's weird because with us, we we are we're already a winning program and Coach Signetti came. Other than us being a losing program, I have to rebuild. So it's kind of weird in that sense. Like, you know what I mean? But Coach Signetti handled it in a very professional way because he he understood there was a trend uh, tradition there and most coaches would try to come and like force upon their beliefs and their like, you know what I mean? Especially since we're a big senior led team. Coach Signetti respected the fact of all the accomplishments that we had. And, you know, he gelled it with what he knew as well, too. And he never tried to make it, make it a power struggle in any sort. That's why I feel like we were so successful and it wasn't a drop-off other than we elevated this year because Coach Signetti realized, okay, his accomplishments. And we realized his accomplishments. And we just – and, you know, we just gelled together. So it was just a smooth transition with that. But it was weird at first because you kind of didn't know how to play it because we had success and he had success. So we just didn't want it to be like a power struggle. You know, speaking of seniors, uh, J James Madison is graduating a number of talented seniors who are going to be playing in the NFL this coming season. Two guys mm -hmm. I want to specifically ask you about, defensive end Rondell Carter and quarterback mm -hmm. Ben DiNucci. Let's start with Carter. How does his game differ from yours, and what does he bring to the team? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, first thing Ronda, you know, I practice with him every day, talk to him every day. You know, he's a brother to me. Um, the number one thing I can say about Rondell first is his leadership is what he brings to any team. Um, he's a professional in every sense, like by the definition of professional, he's that guy. Um, he's a big time leader. What Rondell brings physically is he's a big body. Uh, he's 270 or 265 around that time, but he moves very, very well. He brings versatility where he can bring play inside and outside. He also brings a nasty like edge to the game. He's, he's a very high motor, plays hard, gets good hands. He does what he coached to do. So, you know, it's hard to find dudes like Rondell who mentally have it, but then also physically have it as well. So he could do a lot of things for a defensive coordinator. He's just a coach's like, you know what I'm saying? He's like the prototype type of player that the coach, coaches want. Now, Danucci, uh, a transfer from Pitt, he wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the season. And it's mm. a good chance he could end up in the late rounds. Tell us a little bit about your quarterback. Uh, you know, Ben, Ben's a fighter. That's the number one thing I can say about Ben. Ben's a fighter. He's going to go out there and fight every day. But the thing about Ben is he's very talented. He's, a, he's probably one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. Ben can do stuff on the football field. Not a lot of people could do. Um, I think he's, he displayed it more this year when he was more confident in himself and in his role as well. Um, ben DiNucci is a, a servant type of leader where he's not – I'm not going to say he's, he's, he's vocal still, but he definitely goes by his actions and his work ethic every day. Um, he tries to model everything – try to get people to model his work ethic and everything like that. Um, Ben's just a fighter. He's a tough kid. Um, he's not going to quit. Um, he knows how to bounce back from adversity. That's all I can say about Ben. Now back to you for a second here, John. We talked last week to Mason Kinsey, Division Three guy who ended up at the East-West Shrine game, had that opportunity to go up against FBS competition. For you, how disappointing was it not to get an invite to a postseason all-star game to kind of show your skills and show that you're able to handle that level of competition, which is obviously going to be a question coming out of the FCS? Um, it was disappointing at first, um, knowing that I didn't have that because I already knew coming out of the FCS, I was always going to be a question mark and everything. But I feel like I played great competition. I feel like I have a lot of film. We played a lot of games this season, 16 or 17, I forgot. Um, I have the film over there. I film versus FBS schools that I've played against. Um, so I, I don't think there's really any knock on if I can do it. Um, but you know, it's still going to be some questions out there, but you know, it's kind of disappointing, but you got, you just got to roll with the punches. You got to just like play the cards you're dealt. I always say that myself. So, you know, I feel like everything's going to work out. I feel like it's going to show and you see it all the time in the NFL. There's so many FCS guys, D2 guys, even D3 guys who are out there performing every week in and week out. So I, don't, I think the more the years are starting to come, I think that question is starting to become more like irrelevant in a sense because you see so much people with success stories from the FCS and all that. So I feel like uh, it might be a question, but, you know, I was really too disappointed after a while. Now we talked about this a bit before we came on the interview off air. Obviously the main thing right now on most people's minds is the COVID-19 outbreak and how everyone's kind of dealing with that. From your perspective, mm -hmm. The virus canceled your pro day that was set for March 19th, where based on the training numbers at Bomberito performance that you've put up, which we'll get to in a minute, you were certain to turn a few heads at your pro day. What was your mm -hmm. reaction when you found out that you weren't going to get that opportunity? Yeah, man, I'm not even going to lie to you. It was, it was very frustrating. Um, you know, it was very frustrating in the sense of it was a week out. Uh, I remember I was, it was my last day actually at Bomberito. Um, 
literally just finished my last workout there. Um, get the call, saying it was postponed. I'm like, man, like all these two months you put in for work, all that work you put in those last two months, you know, it was just, it was just, it was just a very frustrating time. And then, um, you know, it was just very frustrating, you know. It, and then I also had to realize that it was not just only me dealing with that. I had to also realize there was other people dealing with it as well too. So you know, I just wasn't trying to feel too bad for myself. And other people, I was just going to be like, hey, I'm going to just use this opportunity or this, um, I'm just make the best out of this opportunity that I have or whatever. So, you know, it was, it was, I can't even lie to you and sit here and say I wasn't frustrated because I was. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You played your senior season right about 220 pounds, correct? Yeah, about 225. You bulked up to 240 during your, uh, you know, your pro day training, yet you still ran a laser time 4.49 seconds in the 40 with some impressive jumps we talked about. I believe it was a 41-inch vertical, an 11-foot-1 broad jump. Was it right. tough to maintain your athleticism after, you know, basically putting on almost 10% more body weight? Nah, not really, because um, I've always had the frame to hold that. It was just more as again the resources and the right food. So I'm a very I have a I have a lean frame, so it's very hard to actually um, get like bad weight on my frame, which has its pros and cons because it's kind of tough to gain weight, but it's but it's also like I don't really have any bad weight as well. So what Bomarito did, they set up a good um, meal plan and a training uh, regimen for me in order to gain that weight. And I got up to 241 um, when I was leaving. And then I also got faster um, or maintained my speed, if anything. Um, so I ran that 449. So I was very, um, very satisfied with that. But I always knew that, uh, you know, weight really doesn't affect me as much because I have so much frame to fill out. So I was really concerned about losing any speed or explosiveness. Now, you were primarily used at the line of scrimmage and up the field at James Madison. What, during your training for Pro Day, did you work on coverage techniques? Did you work on pass drops? And, you know, how did it feel? Yeah, um, I worked on, like, uh, curl to flat, uh, playing the curl to flats, um, like, seam stuff. I did a lot of that because um, I was doing both edge and linebacker Um Drills as well. I look fluid. I look uh, fast. I know somebody I trained with said I look like a DB coming on my break. So I was kind of happy they said that because that was a big emphasis on me too. Because I know a lot of people want to see me drop, um, which I've done in high school, um, which I'm comfortable with. With it's just like my knack is pass rushing. So I'm versatile enough to do both. Um, I know there's probably videos out there of me working out doing that. Uh, I had a good position coach at Bomarito, um who helped me. Uh, just with the footwork and the hip stuff. Um, so I was comfortable out there doing that. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to do whatever NFL team asking you to do, if that's coverage-wise. Who was the position coach, if I could ask? Uh, Lazar Duzable? I know his last name. Sure, Duzable, sure. Played with the Jets for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defensive yeah, lineman. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, – He was. I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't say his last name right. We call him Duz. You said his, right. his last name is pronounced I mean, I mean, I mean his first – my bad. His first name right. Uh, because we used to call him Dudes all the time, so I don't even really not remember how to say his first name. But, yeah, Dudesable, uh, he was that, and he put it, put me on the board. He did a good job of preparing all of us uh, for it. Now, I know Bomberito was shut down March 13th. I think that was a Friday, and that was kind of the week everything in the sports world seemingly got postponed, kind of following with mm -hmm. the NBA suspending their season on Wednesday. What have you mm -hmm. done since then, since you haven't been able to go to the facility, to really keep up with your training? Yeah, uh, 
first things first, I ran up an Amazon bill just buying <laughs> equipment while I'm at home. I can use it in my backyard. Uh, another thing is, I've well, now that we're on lockdown now in Maryland, I don't um, go see him anymore. Um, but we had a, I had a trainer, uh, Coach Coleman. Um, he's an explosive trainer that I worked with uh, when I was in, like, when I had breaks in college. Um, I worked, I worked out with him for a good uh, couple weeks too, to keep explosive, all that. Um, so right now it's just backyard, you know, just with the stuff I, I got on Amazon, it's all that backyard stuff I have. So, you know, just trying to do that, stay in shape, going for a jog here and there. Um, but it's a lot of footwork stuff, uh, backyard stuff and a lot of position work stuff because my backyard is big enough for me to, uh, do so. So I just try to, uh use what I have right now. So hopefully that's, you know, we don't have to, I don't have to use that for too much longer, but you know, that's, this is keeping me in shape, keeping me in football shape, all that. So I can't complain. Amazon's very convenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, since there's been no pro days or pro days were stopped. And since there's been no official 30 visits, a lot of the teams are going to FaceTiming uh, players. Can you tell mm-hmm. us what teams have FaceTimed you? And what have they been like? What are those FaceTime sessions? What, what are they like? Yeah, a good amount of teams have face, actually FaceTime me, reached reach out to me through FaceTime. Um, so, for instance, like the Bengals, uh, we have a, a FaceTime meeting at noon every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And first it started as an introduction, just him. Uh, I usually call Coach uh, Mark Duffner, who's the senior defensive analyst. Um he was a Bucks, I think, defense coordinator the year before he went to Bengals. Um, so we just – he shows me my film, and then he just – not really critique, but just, like, wants to get in my head and, like, pre, pre-snap stuff, see what I'm thinking during the snap and all of that and see where I could have just, like, what I should have done and this and that. We also watched their film, and he showed me literally what I'll be playing in their defense um, on base downs, on – on sub packages as well. So right now we transitioned into learning scheme and his ter- terminology. That's what the Bengals, the Jets, I was on FaceTime with a couple scouts on there just trying to, it's a lot of, um, it's just a lot of just like trying to get to know me with the interview process with that. Uh, the Vikings as well, I was on the FaceTime with the Vikings. We're going over scheme, defenses, all that. Um, other teams as well, it's just a lot of introduction and just showing me with their schemes. So, you know, it's a lot of interviews right now, but it's also them showing me where I'll fit in their scheme as well. Now, one of our favorite things to ask prospects when they come on the show is kind of for them to give us a self-scouting report. So Mm -hmm. if you were a team watching your film, what would you say are your biggest strengths or kind of areas you win as a player? Uh, I went on, first of all, uh, the number one thing I think I went on is even though I'm very, I'm very fast. I'm also very violent. So I know, how to use – I think I bring an IQ to a game where I know when to be fast because obviously speed's a big part of my game, but I could also use that speed and turn it into power as well. I think I have very violent hands. Uh, contrary to most belief, I, I feel like I play the run very well. Um, I win with quick, violent hands. Um, I, have a good, I have a good feel of how linemen sets and stuff like that. Um, Obviously, the speed and quickness always helps. I feel like I have a good, um, I have some good moves in my uh, arsenal. Uh, obviously, you can add more. Um, and I just feel like I'm, I kind of know what's going on in the in the game. 
so it slows it down because of all the film prep I do and all that. So I say that's some pros in my game. Now, conversely, what do you think you need to improve on the most? Yeah, um, some of the things I already kind of like checkmarked on my uh, things I want to improve. Obviously, the weight thing, I knew I couldn't come in the NFL at 225. 230 around that um so i got up to 241 um like the nfl scouts were telling me so i heard their feedback that's number one um right now i'm working a lot on footwork stuff i feel like last season i didn't really work on footwork as much as i should have and i kind of noticed on certain things so i just want to make sure my footwork is um very like very very technical um with my hands too i just want to make sure my hand placement is perfect as well and then also, I just, you know, just just those little, like, technician things. I just want to beat the hands better. I just – just stuff like that. So, footwork and hands are definitely the number one thing with me now. Hands as in, like, being a technician and the placement of them. Now, the pre-draft process is obviously different for different players and even more so this year with everything going on around the country. What are your goals for draft day and what are you most excited for? I'm just excited for the opportunity to play in the NFL. Um Right now, it's, like, up in the air, really, like, you know, with pro day, um, no pro day, uh, where exactly, like, you going to go, how high, and it's like that. So, I just, I'm just excited for the opportunity to play in the NFL. Um, it's a lifelong dream. I know it's not only for everybody in that who's in the draft. It's a lifelong dream for everybody. So, you know, I'm just excited to get the opportunity to play in the NFL and just start to get, get a role and start getting to work. You know, I'm just excited to figure out what, like, city I'm going to call home for the next couple of years or my whole career honestly. Now, John, that's all we've got for you today. Thanks again for joining us. We really enjoyed this and we'll definitely be rooting for you later on this month. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. I mean, you were terrorized, you terrorized quarterbacks (laughs) on uh, the college level. And I know you're going to do the same in, in the NFL, just as long as you get hooked up with the right franchise and the right defensive coordinator. So good luck. And I know we'll be enjoying watching you play football on Sundays. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Now, we'll wrap up the show with some information on teams that could be after DACA in the draft or possibly after the draft. But first, a message from our sponsor. Here at the Draft Analysts, we're super excited to work with True Classic Tees. Style is changing, formal wear is out, and the t-shirt is in. And frankly, I could use some more comfortable clothes since I'm running low right now and I cannot do my own laundry anymore. Oh, that's, that, that sounds kind of stinky. But uh, based in L.A., True Classic Tees is a t-shirt company that's on the rise, like John Daka. As Chris mentioned, their t-shirts are fitted and soft. They hold up in the wash, and they're incredibly versatile. You can wear them out, you can wear them to work out, or you can wear them around the house and uh, have your wife check you out while you're in these nice fitted t-shirts. And the best part? They are incredibly cheap. Gone are the days of paying $30 for a t-shirt. True Classic Tees are only $15, and now you can get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com and use the code BLEAV at checkout for a 20% discount. That's believe, BLEAV at trueclassictees.com. Now, Tony, moving back to Daka here for a second, which teams have you heard are most interested in him? And do you think it's more likely they're going to grab him late on day three, or will they try to focus on signing him as a priority free agent? Well, after, you know, what we heard, well, first of all, I should say from what we heard, obviously the Bengals are very interested in him. And I can also tell you, I know for a fact, because I made some calls after uh, getting some information tonight that the New York Jets really like him a lot. And, you know, as we both know, 
uh, the Jets have needed a pass rush since John Abraham left the uh, franchise, and they've never been able to really uh, uh, get a pass rusher in there. And, and you look at Daka, you, you see the type of athlete he is. You watch his play, and I mean, you know, he is that John Abraham type of guy that can stand over tackle, occasionally come out of a three-point stance. He's explosive. The fact that he told us that, you know, he played at 220 pounds and he has trouble keeping on weight, I mean, that's very telling. Uh, that will only rectify itself as he physically matures and gets a little bit older. It's, it's a good thing to have, uh, especially early on in, in the career. just means he's got to work a little bit hard in the weight room. Uh, but I know that the New York Jets really like him a lot, and I could see, you know, the Jets selecting him late in the draft and Greg Williams really working his magic on John Daka to improve what is a Jets pass rush that has needed improvement for 15-plus years now. And that's it for the 127th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. The special thanks goes out to John Daka of James Madison University for joining us on tonight's episode. And we'll be back again next week with more on the NFL draft, whether it's another player interview, some updates surrounding the draft itself, or both. Until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.